You're listening to the Westchester Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ. Landowner who organized a race. Very large prize attached to this race. Ten million dollars. So messengers spread the word by land, by sea, all over the world that this race was going on. This prize was amazing, $10 million. But shockingly, even though everyone was invited to this thing to participate, only a handful, five runners, showed up. Uh, So the day of the race, the five runners showed up, and the rules were fully explained. They hadn't been explained before, so the rules were fully explained. Uh, to those five runners that showed up to the race. There are actually only three rules to this race. The first rule was you've got to stay on the track. You've got to stay on the marked track. The second rule was you have to keep moving. You can't take a break. You can't quit. You've got to keep moving on the track. And the third rule was you've got to finish the race. And so the rules were explained. The five runners were there. And interesting enough, the first runner was having a a real problem with the rules. He didn't understand about the 10 million. He didn't understand that anyone could could win it, even if they came in last. And so he was complaining about it. He was complaining about the fact that the course uh, wasn't known ahead of time. He wanted to know how far it was. He wanted to know the topography of the course. Are there hills? Is it flat? He wanted to know if it were high altitude or low altitude. He wanted to know if he'd be able to to handle it. And, And he was arguing the entire time the race was going on, well, the race finished. And he was still arguing with the judge. So, of course, what happened to that guy? No, he was disqualified. Well, the second runner, he was doing well. He trained. He was doing well. He actually took it seriously and was running really well, uh, looking good. People were cheering him on. But after a couple hours, he was tiring greatly. He was starting to sweat. He was starting to fatigue. His muscles were starting to cramp. He was really starting to get distracted. He'd, he'd come to the race. He'd come a long distance for this race because the prize, $10 million, that's, that's pretty astonishing. And so he wanted to be in the race, but he was just getting so fatigued and he was trying so hard and he was just getting exhausted as the other racers are running by him. And he didn't, you know, he, he, he had a secret. Underneath his tracksuit were weights, training weights, that he forgot to take off. And he was too embarrassed to ask the other runners about it. And so he just kept trying to trudge it out. The problem was he lost focus of why he was even running. He just got so fatigued, he thought, I can't handle this. And finally, he just collapsed. And medics had to come and carry him off the course. So what happened to that runner? He's out. Well, the third runner, third runner, he also had trained. He also was doing really well. He, he, he had a stride going, and he was actually proud of the fact that he didn't need any partners to run with. He was a lone wolf runner. 
he had trained alone, he was ready to run alone, and he was fine. So he was just cranking it out, passing by, runner number two. Too bad about the fatigue, but buddy, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on track. I'm in the zone here. I'm just running. So he, uh, he, was, he was doing really, really well, but um, he really was kept looking at the surface. You know how, how outdoor tracks are, where you've got the tarmac, which is really tough, and then you've got the field over there. And what do you have in between the field and the tarmac? You have this nice little kind of flat grassy area. It's not full of grass. It's just sort of flat, and it's, it's kind of spongy. So if you're a runner, you know that it's not best to run on a surface like this. It's better to run on something that has a little give. That's why modern tracks are made out of rubber and they have a little give. And so he, he said, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and try running on the little grassy surface. And he concluded it's, it's, well, it's not really on the track, but it's also not off the track. And so he started, uh, he started running on the grassy area. And what was interesting is it, it was easier. It was much easier to run in that compromised uh, place. And so he got a lot of work done. In fact, he realized the further into the spongy area, the further into the grassy area he went, he could get a lot more work done and uh, very important things in his life to get done. You know, there were career things, all kinds of things. He had a cell phone. He was making calls. And so he realized that this is good for me. This is good. I can get everything done if I get a little more onto the spongy area. So the problem was that the, the more he did it, the more work and the work he got done, the more in his career, things like that, things were spinning. But, of course, once you get really off track that far, you've gotten off track. He got so lost, it took days for people to find him. He was lost in a forest. He finally climbed up to this rocky knoll, and he found a helicopter, and he was like, so what happened to him? No, well, he's out. So the next two runners got two left. What were they like? Well, since then, they were the most unlikely people to be in the race. <laughs> they were they hadn't really trained. They didn't really know what it was, but they were intrigued by the prize, ten million dollars, and they said, Well, hey, why not? You know, it doesn't cost us anything to get into the race, so why not get into the race? And so they were yeah, they were the last ones out of the starting gate and, and you know, even in the running they were like you know, a little discombobulated, but, you know, they, they ended up kind of running at the same pace. Now, they were different races. They were different uh, ages. They had nothing in common with one another, but they ended up sort of kind of becoming kind of partners because they were just kind of running together. Uh, what, what was good, though, is that one of them uh, had weights on. And the other runner said, why are you having those weights on? Well, I didn't know I, I, I could take them off. Yeah, 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 let me help you with them. Now, they've got to keep running, right? So it's like, okay, help. Here, help me. You know, but they, were, they, they, they did that. And then the other runner was getting really distracted by work. He was getting a lot of phone calls, you know, and, 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 but I'm in a race. And, you know, you've got to come in. And it was like, you know, really struggling with this, uh, with his career and with the race. And he didn't know what to do. And the other runner was there really helping him out, you know. Uh, so anyway, the, the race went on, and uh, they, they just kept helping one another. And what do you think happened? They finished. What happened was they were having so much fun together, and they realized it's a lot easier running with a partner, and they were getting to know one another. They were laughing. They were having a good time that suddenly the race ended. 
and they had both won $10 million. We'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I think you figured out by now that this is not fiction. This is actually about you. And it's about me. It's about our Christian life. And it's about the race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So it's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. I'm sorry if I didn't say that. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. He's talking about the Christian life here. He's not running aimlessly. He's running with purpose. But he's saying that the Christian life is a run. It is a race. In fact, he's talking about competition. He's talking about strict training. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight. He's saying the Christian the Christian life is like a fight. It's like a battle. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, he's not doing it aimlessly. He has purpose. He goes, look, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will, be not, will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is saying that the Christian life is a fight. It is a battle. It is a race. Is he serious here? He's dead serious. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he goes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Christianity is a battle. It is tough. It is not easy. You have got to have purpose. You've got to have training. You've got to have focus to be able to do this or you're not going to finish. That's the problem. And so, today, let's examine this modern day parable and figure out Hey, which runner am I? You ready to figure it out? Maybe you've already figured it out, right? Well, let's go through them. Let's review and figure out which runner we are. Okay, turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. Okay, the first runner. The first runner, you remember this guy? What, what was his problem? He was complaining, arguing with the judges. He had attitudes. That, that, that was his issue. Um, he, you know, have you ever been there? I have. Why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? I thought Christianity was supposed to be easier than this. Why, why all this conflict? Have you ever been there? I have. We start questioning God. God, why is this happening? What is happening here? We start questioning what God is doing. Hello, is anybody up there? Hello? And we start comparing God to us. Look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we've got thoughts and ways, right? How do they compare to God's? Are they even close? But we think they are. 
See, we question God so much, it's like, well, if I were God, I would. Wow. I mean, I've done that. I'm like, God, I don't understand this. I mean, I really think this is what's best. And so I try to argue with God and try, no, 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 do it this way. This is really what, what's, what's going on here. And sometimes I get really upset with God because I'm like, I've been praying about the same thing for so long. Are you listening? And I get attitudes. I get stressed. I get all worked up with God. Please don't make me feel like I'm the only one that does this. I think we can relate to this. But God's saying, hey, look, did you create heaven? Did you create wisdom? Any wisdom you have, I gave you. And I want you to know something. My ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And what I decide is better than what you decide. And what do we have to do? Oh, you're right. We have to get humble. I mean, I, I'll be honest here. I'm a control freak. I grew up in a, in a household of alcoholics. All the main men in my life were alcoholics, all of them. And when you grow up around a lot of alcoholics, you learn that control is a big deal. Because you feel that there's so little control, you have to at least have some control over something. And so that's how I grew up. I like driving my car. I like driving my car. I like driving. I drive. I have trouble even when Teresa drives because I like control of the car. It's so bad that when I'm at Six Flags, I have to sit in the very front row and pretend that I am driving this car. It is that bad. That's how I am. I like control. And God is saying, no, I want to be in control, not you. And I struggle with that. It, it gets me into stress. And I get all worked up. And I get just tense. There's a, there's a study that a, a group did. This is, this is the Institute of Heart Math. I've never heard of this group. But they did a, a, an experiment on some soldiers and on the effects of fear on DNA. And so I'll just, I'll just read this. It says, members of the military were each given a vial containing their DNA. They were instructed, and you can, you can get your DNA separated from everything in this kind of wavy, wispy, kind of stringy-looking stuff. So they were given this vial of DNA. And they were instructed to feel positive feelings like gratitude and love and appreciation and project those feelings onto the vial of DNA. And in response to those emotions that they projected on the vial, the DNA relaxed, unwound, and lengthened. That's kind of freaky, isn't it? But because the DNA was still alive, their DNA in that vial, so their emotions affected the DNA that much. So conversely, when the volunteers emitted emotions such as stress, anger, and fear, the DNA structure tightened, shortened and switched off some of the gene code so it changed their genetics emotions changed their genetics when they reverted back however to those loving feelings and things like that 
then the DNA again relaxed and lengthened. And when they thought about fear, doubt, disbelief, negative things, it, it tightened up again. That they were able to control their DNA just with their thoughts. Man, imagine what that does to our body. If a vial of DNA is responding to how we think, how do you think our body is responding, responding to how we think? It's really wild because they separated the volunteers from the vials into different rooms and they had the same result. That the vials of DNA still responded to their feelings. They separated them 50 miles away and it was the same thing. The vials of DNA responded to their thoughts, emotions, and feelings. There was no lag time, no transmission time. The result was the same. That's amazing. What do you think God's trying to tell us here? You know, Jesus said, my yoke is stressful and burdensome. But I'll be honest, that's how I live. That's my default, is stress and burden. I'm not living like Jesus, and I'm not living the promises, so I have to repent. This is a huge thing in my life that I have to repent of. That I have to take hold of the promises of Jesus. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Even when you go to Psalm uh, 23, he says, he leads me beside what? Still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I tell you, for a sheep, there's nothing better than still waters and green pastures. You've got it made. It's heaven. But see, we can have those attitudes today. We can have heavenly attitudes today if we choose it. We simply have to choose Jesus. We have to choose those emotions. We have to choose the promises of Jesus. Had the first runner done that, he would have won the race, right? That's all he would have had to do. Just surrender to Jesus and trust him and we'll be in the zone. You know what runners say that win? They try to get in the zone. What's the zone? I don't fully know. I was hoping you'd answer it, but nobody did. But what I know of it is that your attitude and your being, has everything has to be working together so that your mind and your body are connected. And so you're running and running and running and you're not too tired. You're not too stressed. You believe you have faith. You see the goal. You're able to monitor. You're able to, to really focus on the right stuff. And that's called the zone. That's where Jesus wants us every day living in the zone. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He, makes, he leads me beside still waters and makes me lie down in green pastures. So that's, that's runner number one. Are you that runner that's complaining or are you the runner that's relaxed? How about runner number two? What was his issue? He had hidden what? Weights. Look over in John chapter 8. What do you think those weights are for us today? What are our weights? What's weighing you down? Maybe it's hidden sin. Maybe there's something in your life that you're the only one that knows about it. Maybe it is negative attitudes that are weighing you down. How's that working for you? It doesn't. 
Look at John chapter 8 and verse 34 through 36. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We were created to be free. Jesus has set us free. All the promises are there. All the power of the Holy Spirit is there. Everything we need, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. These are all the promises of the Bible. But what happens so often with us is we let, we're tempted, and we let that temptation get in there, and we kind of flirt with that sin, and we think about it, and bam, we, we sinned. And then we don't talk about it, we don't deal with it, we just pretend it'll go away, we hope it'll go away, and it doesn't, and we get re-enslaved to sin. Can you relate? I think all of us can relate. How can you run the Christian race if you're weighed down by sin? Well, the easy answer is you can't. You can't be in the zone. You can't run the promises. You can't live in the promises. You can't have that expectation, that great focus on the prize and pleasing God and being with Jesus and and feeling that peace from Jesus, being in peace, in faith, in confidence. It's just impossible when things are weighing you down. Whether it's negative attitudes or a sin or a conflict or whatever it is, it just weighs you down so much, you're not going to finish. You're going to be just like the runner who's sweating and sweating and trying and trying and trying, trying to make it and just, boom, can't. What does Jesus say we can do? Get a partner. Get a partner and just open up. Get a partner and just vomit it all out on the table. Just get it all out there. It's going to be smelly, gooey, gucky. No one's going to like it. Everybody's going to pass by. Oh, man, what's going on there? But you know what? What happens? I hate to be so grotesque here, but what happens if you get sick and you do vomit? What, how, how do you feel? It's the same when you get out of sin. It feels better. So, what happened to this second runner? He didn't make it. But what about us? Will we? It's your choice. You got to take action. You got to get open. And you got to get a running partner. Because Jesus has created us not to be slaves, but to run free. Amen. The third runner, remember him? What happened to him? He was, he was the compromiser, right? He was the one that, that was getting tired of running on the hard surface and he figured out the. The easier, you know, the further he goes, the easier it gets. And he can get so much more done. He can get work done and all these things. And so he's, he, he was proud of the fact that he could run alone. Hey, I don't need anybody else. I can do this Christian thing alone. I'm fine. I'm, I'm cranking. You know, the Bible's really clear. We need one another. In fact, we can't say we don't need one another. First Corinthians makes that really clear. You cannot say you do not need people here. We all need one another. And you know, if you looked around, we're pretty diverse. We're really diverse. So no, you're not going to click with everybody here. But you still need them. And God works in there and really helps us. That the third runner, he just he was he was so blind. He thought he could do it alone, but he couldn't. Because the further he got off track, the more confused he got, and then finally he lost track of the whole race. 
He lost track of the other runners. It's, it's, he just got so into his work, he couldn't figure out what the race even was about. You know, Jesus said, what is a profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? You're right, the world is screaming for your attention. And you're right, you may make less money. And you're right, you may lose a particular project if you seek God first. But you know what? God will bless you. You put God first and He will bless your life. Who is going to do a better job with your life? You or God? God. Let's trust Him. Let's go to Him and let's make this thing happen. You know, I had a point, but oh, here we go. I did want to review this. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the church can be just like a club. Remember that? You know, what happens when we get so distracted by the world and really tied into the world and and our things and our goals and our dreams and everything about us is what happens is we can lose track of God's family and we can simply join a club. And let me, let me just review this. We did this a few weeks ago, but, you know, what is a club? A club is an organization where somebody introduces you to the club. There's a membership process. You decide to join the club. You pay dues to the club. You attend activities of the club. You're cordial in the club. You greet people. And your level of involvement is entirely up to you. That's a club where you decide everything. Your relationships are superficial because nobody expects you to get too deep. Because in a club, you don't do that. You don't go to a club and get really deep with people. Hey, how about those Yankees? Yeah, that didn't work. Um, That's a club. Your relationships are superficial. Nobody expects you to get too deep. You're, you're really bonded by commonality, just like any club, whether it's a racquetball club or a country club or even a church club. You know, there's lots of clubs out there, church clubs, where, you know, it's either a black church, a white church, a Hispanic church, a Japanese church, a Korean church, a wealthy church, a poor church, an inner city, whatever. There's lots of clubs out there. The problem is you're runner number three if you're in the club. If this church is simply a club for you, something to attend, something to greet people, be cordial, maybe have dinner every once in a while, but, you know, your, your life is really outside of the club, then it's a club. The problem is, is that Jesus did not design Christianity to be a club, but to be a family. We need one another. You know, Jesus gave... A hundred percent for us. Jesus gave one hundred percent his life, his blood, his soul, even his will for us. Do we dare give less? So are you runner number three? If you are, I want to encourage you to leave the club. Leave the club and get in the family. Find some runners that will run with you to pray together every day if necessary. To read scripture together every day if necessary. To get bonded back in with Jesus, back into his body so that we can run the race. Well, there's only two runners left. 
Remember what happened to them? What was, the, what was the secret to those last two runners, runners four and five? What was their secret? They ran together. They had a partnership. They actually became buddies. Were they, did they have everything in common? Well, not at first, because they were different races. They were different economic backgrounds, different educations. They actually had nothing in common with one another whatsoever. But they decided that they really needed to run together because they needed a partner. Because this, they didn't know how long the race was going to be. They didn't know the topography of the race. They didn't know when it was going to end. And they figured, as long as we just keep moving. Sometimes they were moving like this. But they just kept moving. Were they tempted to get off track? Sure, because career is a big deal. Career is screaming at you. They were tempted to get off track and take care of other really important things in their life. But then they realized, wait a minute, the most important thing in our life is actually running right here with you. <laughs> they figured it out. Do they have weights to take off? They did. And they actually had to help one another take them off. And you know, when you take off those weights and you're running with a buddy and you decide that the race is more important than your career even, and you're cranking it out, you get in what Jesus calls the zone. When his yoke is easy and his burden is light, where God leads you, even though you're running and sweating and working and all this, you're cranking it out in Christianity, you're making it happen, you're sharing your faith, you're studying the Bible with people, you're encouraging the, the discouraged, you're, you're spurring on the encouraged, you're, you're just working it, you're getting to know people in the body, you're, you're looking for people you're doing, hey, fellowshipping here, fellowshipping there, just become a really tight family, you're just... In the zone, God leads you beside quiet waters and green pastures. You know, that's the Christianity I want. I have to repent. I have to repent of stress and being uptight and being a control freak. I have to, I have to do a lot of repenting. But I'm, I'm hoping that I won't be alone here. I'm hoping you'll join me. And if science says that DNA will be heavily influenced by your thoughts. What about what can God do with our bodies and our spirits and our souls when we repent of the negativity and the criticalness and the, the arguing with God and just relax and get in the running zone? What will God not do for us? Does that sound good to you? Can we do this thing? Can we do this race? What are the rules? Stay on track. Keep moving. And finish the race. Amen. You just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.